Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remembered that old saying, power corrupts. Second Officer Slog. I'm your host, M. With me is regular host, Jackson. Hello. And we're here for a very special, very stupid episode. Jackson, what did we decide to do? We decided to read some Star Trek comics. And uh, I told you to just kind of pick a comic from like, literally just from random. And you did that. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) We had a list of like comics that are available to us at short notice and like I basically ran my finger down, found a miniseries because we didn't want to jump into an ongoing, uh, and we knew we wanted it to be like TNG era. Uh, so I just picked one. It is called Star Trek Next Generation Perchance to Dream. It is a four issue miniseries. Uh, yep. Uh, this, is, this is published by Wildstorm Comics. It came out in 2000. Uh, it takes place. Oh, if you want to buy this, I don't. I did not check availability on digital storefronts, but it is in a collection called Enemy Unseen. Uh, that is like this and another wild, like two other Wildstorm comics. Um, this takes place in the year twenty three seventy one. Oh, we're gonna start adding that just so we don't. I don't really have a good like mental. Like I know that it's in this era where TNG and everything takes place, but I don't have a good mental map of like years, and I just want to build that for my own sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, if you don't know, 2371 is after All Good Things, the end of Next Generation, and before Star Trek Generations. This means this is a very weird transitional period for the Next Gen crew. Uh, if you have been listening to our other episodes, we are not watching episodes. We are literally just diving into this comic and going through this journey of what happened in between All Good Things and Generations. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're, doing the, we're doing these off the cuff. We literally read these last night and we were like, let's just do the episode. These are going to be short. They're going to be irregular. Uh, you can follow along. There's going to be an image gallery up when this episode goes up. Uh, yes. You can just click to that and see the panels that we choose. Uh, this comic has a lot of really bad panels. This comic was written by Keith R.A. DeCandio. Um, the uh, pencils were Peter Pashomis for most of the issues, and the inks were uh, Lucian Rizzo. Uh, for issue four, there are also two extra credits um, to the point where they just kind of get last names because they had to fit two credits in. Uh, there's also uh, Benefil, uh, that's the last name, and Martin. Those two people had uh, independent comics in the 90s, Wildstorm. Turns out, if you've got a licensed comic... Jackson 2000. Ah, it's the 90s. <laughs> this comic is the 90s. So why don't you tell uh, the people at home what happens in this comic? So, let's begin our journey. Where does our journey begin? It begins... Uh, with Data walking through an empty Enterprise, monologuing about how he's going through the Enterprise, and he's feeling emotions, and that's weird. Uh, and we discover that Data is dreaming. Data is our, like, there's an episode where Data dreams, and that's like an established fact that Data has a dream program that Data's been accessing more and more as time goes on. Data's dreams do not include Data having emotions, and thus the comic is already stupid. Well, no, that that is... <laughs> 
that, that, that is not meant to be normal. They know that. No, because the inciting incident is why everyone's having weird dreams hasn't happened yet. Then why? Okay, well, this is this is a preview. <laughs> this is why I told you this comic is already stupid. Also, just a nitpicky thing, but I, you know, I said I was going to be this person. Uh, Data mentions over the past seven years, the average number of sentient beings on the Enterprise has been an average of a thousand and eight people. That's too few people. That's way too few people by like two hundred people. Uh, I mean, that, yeah, that's how many how many decks does the Enterprise D have? Twenty six, pretty sure. Top of my head, and those decks are huge. The if I remember correctly, the number is usually like twelve to thirteen hundred. But I, you know, I have so many tabs open, I'm not looking it up right now. Mm-hmm. But data's already getting facts wrong. This is uh, I. Then I was like, is this comic really? Oh, worth pointing out. I'm not even gonna get to the other thing because it was dumb. But worth pointing out, data is wearing the generation slash early DS9 uniform in his dream. Yes, so the the comic is set on the Enterprise D before Generations, after all good things, and the fact that Generations was just made in some kind of production disaster that led to only half the cast sometimes wearing Generations uniforms, uh, and sometimes wearing the old TNG uniforms, this just assumes that that's, uh, that that's a regular part of day-to-day life in this era on the enterprise which is crazy it just it just decides to go with it and have that be a thing that happens in a comic where you can draw things and it, i hate it yeah so like jordy is always wearing his like traditional tng uniform and so is Worf. but like picard and Riker and data and both of the women both uh, they all have the uh, t- uh the generations uniform it doesn't make I don't I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Except except for one scene where someone clearly wanted to draw one of Troy's iconic dresses. <laughs> uh we get some yes, we get some oh, I get to draw Troy moments now. It, but it's not even the purple outfit, it's like the blue, like the turquoise dress. Yeah, no, the purple outfit is is Anyway, yes. Data has a dream. In that dream, he's in engineering and everyone's kind of ignoring him and then Data's afraid and then all the bodies are passed out and then the Enterprise explodes in our first hilarious splash page, which is a better destruction of the Enterprise than the one that's actually in Generations, so it's pretty cool actually. <laughs> yeah, like the nacelles have, have flown off. Uh, yeah. In such a way where you can see the Starfleet logo printed in full color on the nacelles. <laughs> uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> And like the sources being completely destroyed. Uh, it's not, how, it's, to be fair, it's not how a ship like this would have blown up, which is, makes it even better. <laughs> right. Because there's clearly a, there's two explosions where the nacelles come off and then just another completely separate explosion somewhere else. But, but like on the saucer, I'm looking yeah. at the page right now. And it's just on the saucer. That's not where things explode on starships. They explode in the warp core. They explode in the warp core and uh, they explode in the panels that you're using on the bridge. Yep. <laughs> And so then, Data, so Data uh, wakes up. Yeah, Data has a dream. He's talking to Jordy about it. He's like, "Oh, I have, I have all this consternation about my dreams for no good reason. I'm, I've never usually had emotions with my dreams." And we're supposed to be like, "That's a mystery," but the actual mechanics that explain why that's happening actually don't exist yet. So there's no reason for him to be doing this. It's just bad writing. But he does stare at his emotion chip and talk about how much he thinks he's going to put it in or is considering putting it in because that happens shortly after this comic in the movie Generations, which you've probably seen. And if you're like us, you hate. uh and also if you're like us you think it's pretty good (laughs) um i don't think i'd go so far as to say it's pretty good 
Sure, but you use guess from it a lot. <laughs> there is an amazing panel where Data explains to Jordy every other time in the history of TNG that he's had an emotion, and it just illustrates Data like <laughs> laughing when he's had the emotion chip in, or when Q gave him that one laugh at the in like season one. Um, it's or that time he was taken over by like that like ghost criminal. <laughs> It's a it's an amazing panel, and then they like go to the meeting room and whatever, and like we'll get to the next plot bit. But I wanted to quickly say that has the after the Enterprise blows up and we have an actual oh it's a Star Trek story. People are walking through corridors and talking to each other, and then we go to the meeting room. People are talking to each other. It is very clear that either this comic or just comics in general are the worst medium for Star Trek. Holy shit! Like trying to give panel layouts to what is would be shot reverse shot scenes in the show. Oh, it doesn't work. One of uh, my other things I want to bring up, uh, if you ever have the misfortune of reading this comic, or you enjoy a good time (laughs) at laughing at something terrible, (laughs) one of the things this comic does nonstop, to the point where they had to, like, put it in, like, editor's notes in the back, is it constantly references episodes as if, like, to reinforce to you, no, these people who are writing this actually have seen the show. Because I admit, reading this, I was not positive that that was the case, aside from the nonstop references. But it's, like, a laundry list of, like, TV trope-style callbacks to episodes you would like uh, to try to convince you that this is also good. It is not. (laughs) Yeah, every uh, issue ends with like a list of uh page five panel six this is referencing this episode season one of the blah 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 and it's like wow okay this is huh why do nerds who have watched so much star trek seemingly understand so little about star trek uh and then we turn the page and the meeting scene happens and they're like oh we stuff is happening um they're yeah, going I, to a planet called... Well, they, introduced, they introduced two points, and I want to get to them. Yes. Uh, one yes. is the point we're introduced to as the reader, which is that Picard, for some reason, is just, like, completely shaved head now, which, no, no, don't do this. Now he just looks like Professor Xavier in a Star Trek uniform, and it really messes me up. <laughs> Picard has hair. He's just bald. Yep. And then we get the plot, which is they're oh. here to... They're here to uh, perform a security function on Damiano, uh, or Damiano, sorry. Damiano is a planet that has a new ruler that is requesting Federation intervention. They're, like, trying to join the Federation, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the thing with that planet is that people there have three genders, and they're referred to as he, she, and it. And the thing that happens is to have a relationship, usually all three genders have to have like a, like a relationship. And then that's how babies are born. That's how like, it's the social norm that you're in a trio, but the new leader that's been elected only has one partner. And there's like a religious fundamentalist group that is not having this. And is like, that's an abomination. And they are here to provide security for her inauguration so that she doesn't get murdered by fanatics. But also, this is a story about how there's three genders, he, she, and it. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Jackson, <laughs> the minute I saw this panel, I just went to you in Slack and was like, "I, you picked the most perfect comic. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I picked it on just on a whim, and I had seen like the data walking down an empty ship and was like, fine. Uh, but then they get to the plot, and it's just fucking he, she, and it genders. But not just that. Also, religious fundamentalism was trying to assassinate leaders, uh, which collides with, oh, this person has the perverse thing, but the perverse thing is the normal thing on our world. Ooh, relationships, sexuality, Star Trek. 
And there's in this panel where he's explaining that, there's a picture of what these aliens look like, and you can see them. They have green skin, hilarious hair, four horns, like Darth Maul horns or whatever, but bigger, and topping it off crucially, and every single one of them wears this, by the way. No, 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 Jackson, you have to understand, the female ones have three horns. The one of the other genders has two horns, one on the left, one on the right, and then the other gender just has a mono horn coming out of the forehead. Oh right, the... I'm not even gonna make the joke because it's just it's like right there, right? It just doesn't feel worth it. Yes, but... and also the reason they have stupid hair—they have literally like giant, like super, like teased up Bart Simpson hair, but on a person. <laughs> what if uh, Bart Simpson hair was real hair? <laughs> yeah, but bec- the reason they have hair that that that's that bad is because it's all pushed up by their terrible 90s Jim Lee head socks that everyone wears yes! over over their horns, which protrude out of holes cut into the head socks. <laughs> which is amazing because like this this design is on the left of this panel where data is explaining gender and this one panel has like every single thing that this like seeing this panel was like oh god we did it we found it <laughs> we hit the jackpot yeah no <laughs> i literally I, yeah no i literally said to you we hit the jackpot it was so good i'm so happy um, so the actual plot is they're trying, like, these fundamentalists are trying to assassinate her, whatever. It's not really actually worth getting into. They keep trying. The guy who's the leader of the fundamentalist has, like, a fun, like, a, basically, like, a religious talk show on the planet that he talks through and is bad every time they show it. Um, I don't really want to talk about the plot stuff of this much because it's not No, it, I hate it. I hate it. Like, the panel, the pages where it's just explaining the culture of this, uh, uh of this, um, like, planet where the genders are whatever it's just ridiculous i hate them all there's so many like really intense detailed pages of oh well then what does this faction mean and this faction everyone looks basically the same because they're all wearing exactly the same clothes they've all got the same green skin it's like i'm being racist against these badly designed comic characters because they're fucking terrible yep uh but their plan you know they're gonna try to assassinate or whatever and then it's during the inauguration and Worf set up a bunch of security because Worf is good and Worf found a bomb immediately after beaming down. He's like, oh, I can tell where this bomb is. It's a lot of dumb, like, Star Trek stuff happening. Uh, which which is great because, like, you begin this, this comic and there's about, you know, 10 pages of the Data stuff and then the exposition and then Data talks to Troy about his dreams. And then the actual comic's about Worf. <laughs> yes, but... <laughs> Because Worf's there and these, like, fundamentalists are like, oh, this Klingon's going to be able to actually, like, get something done because he's a Klingon and we're just one-off aliens nobody likes. Uh, They devise this plan to infect the Enterprise with, like, this horrible psychic weapon that was once rumored to be on their planet. And what it does is, like, you have to, like, give it to a telepath and then that telepath spreads it to everyone they come in contact with and it drives people crazy through like dreams and doubts which is clearly what is happening to data but can't have happened to data yet because it hasn't spread yet but it's going to happen to everyone else in the future comics because this is a bad comic uh anyway it feels like that scene was supposed to take place in like issue two and they didn't have an opening to issue one (laughs) yeah because also they needed that like set up all the stuff with the ending yeah Uh, there's n- anyway, there is no sense of structure in this comic. It's kind of amazing. 
Anyway, they infect a Vulcan lady who's on the Enterprise, and she's going to take it up, and everyone's going to be having bad dreams. And in the meantime, they try to kill the Chancellor, and Worf is really good at noting that's going to happen, because Worf's good at his job. And so Worf decides to, like, stop it in the most dramatic way possible, in that he, like, he's like, I can't say anything because the amplifiers will pick up my voice. So he just like leaps up and fires a phaser where the sniper is. And then we get the amazing splash screen that opens issue two of everybody firing a phaser up into the air. <laughs> it's yeah. Like there's the security people firing phasers, but also Riker and Picard firing phasers. Yep. You know, and they're all badly drawn, and they're all, like, like Picard is just, like, calmly, like, holding his arm, like, straight out to his side, firing up into the air. It's stunning. I don't think Picard's <laughs> fired a phaser in, like, seven years. <laughs> uh, he's about to. He's about to. God, he is he. <laughs> anyway, they, uh, you know, they try to interrogate the people about the assassination, but no one's talking because they're all religious fundamentalists. And Worf, there's this amazing scene where Worf is, like, trying to be bad cop and, like, intimidate this guy into revealing something. But this is TNG Worf, so he's actually really terrible at it. And he's like, you're going to have to wait in jail for a month for the Federation, like, administrator to come. And then he's like, I'm still not talking. He's like, well, you also need a Klingon to come because uh, you assaulted someone of the House of Moog and my brother sits on the Klingon council and that's going to take six months. And this guy's like, whatever, one month, six months, I don't care. Uh, and Worf's like, oh, my brilliant plan did not work. <laughs> <laughs> Wolf has a lot of doubt. Oh, uh, yeah, Worf has a lot of doubt. Meanwhile, the Federation, like everyone on the ship is starting to have like a lot of weird dreams. Yep, and it's bad. They, they have they have done their super weapon thing. It has happened, and everyone starts to be infected with dreams. Uh, we get this hilarious uh, scene with this um, Vulcan lady who that, she's not in the show, right? Have, or have no, I do, I do not recognize her, and I've recently watched all of TNG, so yeah, no. Okay, yeah, so she's like a character who literally only exists to get this uh, dream weapon onto the ship. And there's a hilarious scene where she has to, like, fight Worf in order to pass the test of getting promoted or whatever. Well, she's, like, she's in, she's one of Worf's security officers, and she's taking his, like, Klingon calisthenics martial arts class. <laughs> and to achieve, like, the inner circle of, like, true badasses, you, she has to, like, have this, like, game of emotional chicken with Worf where they, like, stare at each other. And basically the first one who attacks is probably going to lose. And Worf is so good at fighting that he's able to, like, flap an unflappable Vulcan, which is just, like, Worf is cool. But also it's stupid because it's just a scene of everyone else, including Riker, who probably has not taken a combat class in his life, just, like, standing there, like, talking about how long it's going to take. <laughs> and they're all in the amazing TNG Terry Cloth robes, of course, because it's one of the best costumes in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, like, the idea that Riker goes to these Klingon calisthenics sessions with Troy is, uh, no, no. No, only Tom Riker has ever been caught dead in one of those robes. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've got, like, people we've never seen before on Worf's security team, like, talking to Riker about, oh, how long is this going to take? This person's going to stand here before they make the first move, then the first move person will lose. But I don't think this person's going to hold on. It's just fucking anime at this point. They're just reacting to nothing and talking about the mental power levels of these characters. Yeah, but because she touched Worf, Worf is now infected and he's like a carrier for the virus. So what happens is that night, Worf has a terrible nightmare. And in that nightmare, Worf was a child playing soccer on Earth. 
And in that soccer contest, him and a kid both leapt for a ball and their heads collided and the kid fell down dead. Yep. So I looked at this. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in Star Trek. I cannot <laughs> believe that this happened. And then when I went to the back where it like lists all the dumb nerd references, this is a thing that happened in Star Trek and they talk about it in DS9. Worf is, murdered a yeah. child on accident playing soccer when he was young. <laughs> Uh, it is from the one of the most infamous episodes of DS9. Uh, I remember really liking this episode. We can't talk specifics because I want this to be a spoiler-free episode for uh, yes. Destiny. But, but it, is a th- it is a plot point in an infamously bad episode of DS9 that I don't remember hating as much, but this actual plot point is hilariously bad. and Especially in the context of like writing a s- story in Star Trek uh, that goes in before the development has happened is always so weird. I, I don't know how I'd feel. I was about to do another spoiler, but um, <laughs> like this, even though technically if Worf's life had happened in order, this would have happened by this point. It doesn't feel like a thing that's honest to TNG Worf's character. Yep. Like going into the part of the timeline where this hadn't been written yet, even though technically it had happened to him. It just doesn't it just doesn't work. I don't know why but, you would put that like, in. There's also, like, I'm willing to believe that there is an instance in Worf's childhood where, like, a Klingon child, a human child were, like, just having, like, a like sport was happening and a horrible accident occurred because Klingons are, like, actually preternaturally strong and no one was prepared. But the thing that's illustrated in this image is everybody wearing, like, normal soccer jerseys, and they're, like, <laughs> teenagers. So Worf just kind of looks like Worf with shorter hair. And these kids, like, bump up next to each other, and then this kid is, like, dead, broken on the ground, like he's been, like, in a horrible car accident. And that's the part that is awful. <laughs> like, if it's just like, oh, he had a horrible concussion, and, it, like, he, like, had internal bleeding, and they didn't catch it, and he died, and all oh, everyone was, like, really surprised it was a freak accident. That I accept. But the way that it's illustrated is the dumbest thing. <laughs> It's it's like he bumps into him and then he's like, I won the football, I'm victorious. And then everyone's standing around as Wolf, two heads taller than all these other kids, is standing there and everyone goes, you're a murderer, you've killed him. Yep. Uh, also happening to Worf is he's having waking hallucinations or he dreams up Marla Astor, who is uh, the security officer under his... Uh, tutelage who died in like a season three or four episode uh there's a whole episode about them where he's like training her to be cool and then she dies and it's sad it's a good episode but he sees her and he freaks out and then he goes to talk to troy or he's talking to troy and troy's like you have a lot of turmoil do you want to talk about it? he's like no i do not want to talk about it it's bad dreams don't worry about it and then you get one panel one panel in four issues of garbage that implies the thing that happened in All Good Things, which is Troy and Worf are together at this point in time. And I'm so mad it's only this one panel. Yeah, because they don't really mention it, but he does go to her. And yep. they have a really awkward conversation where it's like, wait, they're not confirming whether or not they are or are not together because it's clear that there's no actual canon guideline before whether they were still together by generations. But then they hold hands, so they totally are together. Yep. Uh, anyway, some more plot happens. Worf hallucinates at the absolute wrong time, that time where a, like, big barrel fell on him and he broke his back. And so he's, like, passed out on the floor because the psychosomatic trauma is, like, enough trauma to, like, actually disrupt him. And that's when they try another, uh, attempt on the Chancellor, whatever her name is, life. Um, and that's, that's how episode three ends, or issue two ends. And then we open issue three with deanna troy in the turquoise dress we talked about recapping everything in case you jumped on board on part three for <laughs> reason. 
This was the year 2000. People might buy comics. Oh, I bet <laughs> nobody bought these comics. <laughs> That's not true. There are letters sections. Oh, God, you're right. There are totally letter sections. Anyway, Worf's hallucinations are getting bad to the point where, like, he just has all these flashes of, like, that time that is, like, baby mama died and that time he, like, got in a fight. And there's just this whole page that are just awful things that happened to Worf, like when he killed Duras and bullshit. Um, it's bad. And then he wakes up in a panic and, like, runs a sick bay. And in maybe the only good panel to me in this episode, he, like, collapses into Beverly Crusher's arms. And I just like the way it's drawn. But it is kind of a hilarious thing to have <laughs> happen in a book. It really needs the whole page for the effect. Because the panel of uh, all the terrible things happening to Worf as he's hallucinating them, the, it, you need to know that this... He's wearing pajamas. <laughs> yeah, no, he's doing the thing everyone in Star Trek does and wears horrible pajamas. <laughs> he's wearing pajamas, running through the Enterprise as images of his terrible guilt just consume him. Yep, that time he tried to commit suicide. Hmm? Uh, that time he killed that kid in soccer. He really, he really doesn't like the fact that he killed a kid with in soccer. He's yeah, not no. a fan of that. Uh, and then you turn the page, and then you get maybe uh, like there's all the things that ca- could contend for the stupidest thing in this comic, but uh, the way it portrays, I I know what empathy. the stupid thing in this comic is, and we're not there yet. Yeah, no, that's that's fucking true. <laughs> there's a turn coming, but I just as a decision, we have shots of uh, Troy's past as she was doing her empath thing. Uh, and she does it by having heavy rain bubbles float around her head, saying, like, greed, pride, joy, lust, hate, love, laughter, as she is, like, examining the situation. And then she has revealed that it is dreaming uh, of um, these emotions, sensing abilities going away as the bubbles, like, become mostly dashes. And then she wakes up, and it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, as, like, the Enterprise crew is becoming, like, the dreams are bad enough to the point where, like, Beverly has them in, like, induced sleep and they can't stop dreaming and it's bad. Everything's going bad and they're like, what the hell is going on? And so because the number of forces on the planet are disappearing, like, the people on the planet are like, what's wrong? And someone tells them, like, oh, that sounds like this legend of this horrible psychic weapon that we used to have. Um, but... In the meantime, there's this four-panel strip of everyone having a terrible dream, which is, like, Jordy having a dream of his mother from that episode with his mother, the one episode where his mother is. Uh, but one of my favorite panels is Riker just dreaming of his dad being shit to him again. <laughs> <laughs> You're a total failure as a son, Will, and I want no part of you. <laughs> yep. Anyway, as the crew is continuing to be uh, debilitated, uh, the guys come up and tell... Uh, the Enterprise crew, what they need, like how the weapon works, blah, blah, blah. And they worked with Beverly to devise a cure. And the cure is really special. The way that this works, the way to defeat the psychic virus is you have to put it in the mind of someone who has too much information for the virus to process. And that means you need someone with multiple personality disorder. 
And the problem is nobody's had multiple personality disorder in Star Trek in like 200 years because it's Star Trek and it's like this dumb utopia. But yes, that's right. It's both gender and mental health. It's it's a gift from the stars. It's beautiful. But Beverly Crusher surmises that she knows someone who has had enough life experience that would reflect the effects of having multiple personality disorder. Someone who has encountered a strong mind meld with a Vulcan, has had their entire personality co-opted by technology, has lived the life of an entire other person through, like, space magic, and that person is Jean-Luc Picard. Yes! Yes! So, you remember how this comic started with a Data thing, and then Data doesn't show up for the entire next three and a half issues... Uh, and Picard has done nothing this whole time. He has like been in panels and sometimes given exposition, and now suddenly he's the center of the comic. I want to point out that Data not only has the memories of all the com- colonists on Omicron Theta 3, but he also had that whole thing happen in Masks where he had the literal history and intelligences of an entire race put into his brain. Data is actually the person who should be doing this. Yep, and it's clear that like he can be affected by this virus because that's key to the plot. You know, so as Picard's like, you're saying I have multiple personality disorder and Beverly Crusher says, yes, of course you do. Uh, in like the dumbest, most 2000 way of writing comics possible. Data is like dream state switches on and he starts sleepwalking his dream, which is like go to engineering. Everyone is down like asleep and then the Enterprise blows up and is like going through the motions of that. So he's like sealed off the commands of everything and the Enterprise is in great peril and is going to blow up if they don't defeat this virus right now, which means they have to infect Picard, which they do by having the Vulcan lady who originated the virus mind meld with Picard. <laughs> one, of, one of maybe the worst drawn panels of this entire comic. And it's, it's, it's doubly amazing because there's two panels that are basically identical of her mind melding with him um all to make the punchline of the final panel on the page even better as he just like goes dead-eyed and slack jaws and the speech was like no <laughs> and then you get the splash screen uh, the splash page that intros the like chapter of this final ep- uh comic welcome to the mind of john luke picard <laughs> and then it runs through his personalities which is lacutus Ambassador Sarek, who he mind melded with while Sarek was in, like, Vulcan dementia. And Cayman, who is the flute guy from that one episode everybody loves. And all these personalities have made up the part of Jean-Luc Picard, but, have remained dom- uh, but he remained dominant until now. This is the mind of Jean-Luc Picard, which is everybody standing in a mental space arguing with each other. <laughs> Uh, and I want to I want to make uh, make clear before we get to uh, Picard Evangelion here, the um, the issue is called Enterprises of Great Pitch and Moment. <laughs> right, that does happen. Every issue has a terrible word, and that is this one. Yep. So we get the ending of Planescape Torment, uh, where <laughs> you are just arguing with aspects of yourself, uh, and the first thing that happens is they all decide to, like, they find the, like, psychic virus, which represents as just one of these Damio people, and they all just, like, basically confront it, and it dies instantly. Uh, Because they just stand in a circle around it and be like, we reject you, and then it falls over. Um, 
But then the next thing that happens is the Locutus aspect just straight up murders Flute Guy <laughs> in Picard's <laughs> brain. Which has a lot of implications for how Picard will function going forward. Like, has he forgotten those? No. Like, it doesn't address any of these things. What does it mean to be inside your own mind and have one personality murder another? This is amazing. <laughs> but that personality is then like, you, you, you've too long suppressed us. We are going to take you over. And so Picard, like, sits up from when he's, like, been like in he's in induced sleep and he sits up and it's not picard it is locutus taking control of picard uh and they all realize that he's locutus because he basically announces i am locutus aboard <laughs> and they're like give us back picard and he's like if you you have to kill me and if you kill me you'll lose the solution to all of your dumb dream problems <laughs> and then like I, someone messages uh a beverly who's like fuck i'm gonna yep. go deal with this uh but what actually happens is in picard's dream space they're like all sitting around like what do we do about lacutus and lacutus now has like lightning jedi powers i don't there's a scene where he shocks Sarek and picard with lightning also it's... he's like floating in the air it's amazing yeah and uh and and like the way the panel is uh there's like the the lights in the background the four lights kind of subtly in the background of each of these panels slowly growing to dominate until like so is... no what what actually you forget the part that happens before that where Sarek's like if we join together we can beat him uh so what happens is the Sarek aspect of Picard mind melds <laughs> with the Picard aspect aspect of a Picard to join up and if they're united they can defeat Lacutus and Picard stands up and forces the darkest aspect of himself which is the four lights that he had when he was being tortured by the Cardassians and so it's Picard in his like new Super Saiyan state like standing there dwarf by Lacutus that's like 50 feet tall and as he's talking he says I will not no I will not give in there are four lights and as he's doing that Lacutus is growing smaller and smaller and the lights are like dominating more and more of the panel until it's just Picard's head with the lights be uh, above him and he's like you may be part of me Lacutus but you will not break me and then he instantly snaps awake in command of himself again, just in time to save the day. <laughs> it's it's something, because one, when the two parts of himself mind meld inside himself, when that happens and the four lights are there, he looks like fucking Shinzon. And the, the, the comic hadn't been released by the time Nemesis had come out, but him being fully bald and not drawn like Patrick Stewart very much. That's what I'm looking at in this panel. <laughs> you're right. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah, no, 100%. And then he, he like, basically saved the day by remembering the, the most famous Star Trek quote, because for as much as this entire comic has no idea what Star Trek is, it sure watched a lot of episodes and yep. references win the day. And the most the most traumatic thing that has ever happened to John Card is that time he's tortured by the Cardassians, even though I don't think that's true. And also, he's about to get a whole other definition of worst thing that could ever happen to Picard in like literally like five minutes after this comic <laughs> ends, as his entire extant family burns to death in a house. <laughs> For no reason, just in a scene. Just yeah, just like to make texture. him sad. Just so, just so when the villain goes, time is a fire in which he burns, <laughs> in which we burn. Picard is like traumatized. To the point where we're like, yes, you might have a point. That's literally the only time reason his is entire the fire family in which dies. we burn, and also a literal fire in which your family burns, <laughs> in which young Renee burned to death. <laughs> oh, Star Trek Generations sure is a movie. Oh, it sure is a movie. 
So Picard has the solution and passes it along and everyone's cured, blah, blah, blah. It's literally, there's been four comics of an increasing problem. Picard wakes up and it is two pages until literally everything is fixed and we're at the like denouement where we opens with the, maybe the actual best panel of all four of these comics, which is Picard <laughs> playing the flute because uh, the flute guy is not actually dead in his mind. And he's just like framed in with space and some dots and some like squares. We will definitely post this panel because I actually think it's great. <laughs> There's a, this journey started because I linked you a panel of an eighties TNG comic that was just insane with its imagery and this is the closest this 90s ass book gets to that of just abstract space nonsense and it's great and uh troy's like oh how, how do you feel about all this and he's like well you know they're, they're they're just parts of me they're just parts of me and troy's like yeah no that's that's a good healthy attitude because there's no actual conflict in this book because <laughs> nothing can change because it's a comic book right before a movie that's very set in stone has been out for six years yeah, what a what a weird thing. And then we cut back to the you know the the actual plot, which is the stuff on the planet, so they can. That, by the way, between all the things we've told you, there is an amazing amount of bullshit that you don't care about happening on the planet as they their plot happens, and then they're like, "Oh, are we gonna? Uh, is this person going to take their position now? No, we've got to delay it. We have to be blah blah blah." Uh, anyway. Yep. Now it's everyone fine. saved the day and they all they're all like standing behind the chancellor. She's like, we've solved all of the problems. And then Boss Nass holds up the orb <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> and then you don't even get because this comics pace so badly. The final page is that whole sequence. They're standing behind them. Boss Nass is holding up the orb. And then instead of it being like a final sp- splash page of the Enterprise flying away, it's just a tiny bit at the corner as most of the. Uh, page is just narration because they didn't have time to finish the comic because they put too many scenes of dreams in it yep it's literally like the now the enterprise can go back to its mission the end there's literally <laughs> just the the end like it's the least star trek ending ever now the enterprise can go blow up <laughs> yep be destroyed by a rickety bird of prey what a i hope you enjoyed us telling you about this so you didn't have to read it yourself please please go to the uh gallery where the um where the the images are because they're choice yeah you simply must you simply must so that's it we don't we're not we're not planning new comics you can come back in a couple weeks and we'll be talking about the first actual uh book uh of mission gamma which is a Launch a relaunch DS9 series that we're reading. Uh, we don't. I don't really want to talk about it here because it's full of spoilers. What it's about, but you know, just check out the description. We'll talk about it uh, when it comes up. We did have questions though, Jack. Do have we do have questions on the internet? Let's go find them. If people wanted to send us questions, where would they do that? Like actual written questions. Uh, if you want to send us like actual questions, you would write us at podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Just put SOS in the tagline in the subject line. We'll we'll figure it out. We don't get so many emails where we can't tell. It'll be fine. Uh, do you want me to read the questions or do you want to read? The you should read the questions. Okay, uh, I'm just going to use Twitter handles because I don't know everyone who. Uh hit us up but um from at underscore girl type we have why is Riker so thirsty because uh, he's he is a man he is the most manly man who must be tamed by tr- we just fucking read him Zadi. like it's <laughs> so the thing the thing that strikes me 
is like Breaker in Encounter at Farpoint episode one. It's clearly meant to be like the hot guy. He is like the Kirk, like Picard's off intellectualizing and Kirk's going to get some ladies. And there's that episode where he's like just like shirtless for most of it, where they go to that planet ruled by women in like season one. But outside of that stuff, when they chill out and like calm down in like season two onward, Riker doesn't really have a lot of romantic interest and is mostly just busy being like everyone's space dad. Like mm-hmm. Picard will give you the morals, but if you need to know what your chores are for the afternoon, you go to Riker. <laughs> and that's like his whole job. Yeah, no, he he's like clearly put on the ship as he's the hot guy, but his function in the, he's not like actively horny in a plot sense. Yeah, like, he doesn't get with many people. He doesn't seem actively that, like, pursuant of romance in the way that, like, you know, like, early Bashir is and stuff. Like, there's an episode where he falls in love with that holodeck lady in season one. But, like I said, after season one, that stuff mostly goes away. Outside Bashir. of very specific, embarrassing Riker episodes. Like, that time he got with that la- that alien who doesn't have a gender, but they're all yep. ladies. <laughs> I, I'll never forget that fucking episode. <laughs> but, yeah, no, Bashir is thirsty. Uh, yeah. I, you know... I, I, he's one of the least thirsty people on the ship. Data is more thirsty. Data's fully functional. Mm, I don't think that's true. I just don't think the TNG crew is like actively that pursuant of sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Next question is from at Craspants. It is Q, best deity or best deity? Uh, well, I would say that they're the best deity. I would argue that Q is not a deity. Just because Q has a bunch of powers does not make Q omnipotent. And in fact, all of all of TNG's interactions with Q illustrate that power does not equal understanding in a way that proves that Q cannot be a deity. Yeah. Uh, Q is mostly just... I don't know. I, the Q continuum is still kind of confusing to me. And it's never really sketched out in that much detail because it can't be because they shouldn't do that oh you we you need oh, to watch those voyager episodes is it, about because uh, voyager is the one i haven't seen and i know there's some q stuff i know he has a kid they go to the q continuum you can't go th- fuck <laughs> <laughs> it's not what it's it's kind of exactly what you would expect given the kind of show voyager is and it's not at all what you would expect when i say they go to the q continuum and it's also stupid <laughs> but it's oh, not I as stupid as that. that time cisco punched q that part's actually <laughs> the worst thing that's ever happened with q <laughs> I love Q, but I don't think I like Q as like a god. I just like Q. Yeah, Q only works as like a a very advanced life form that doesn't actually understand anything about like emotional humans and is just really fascinated with Picard. Like the the quintessential Q is that time Q tricked Picard into thinking he was dead and just fucks with him forever. Like that's the best Q. Uh, is that trespass? Uh, tapestry. That's tapestry. like the one where Picard's reliving his academy days, and yeah. he wakes up in bed next to Q, and a thousand ships were set sail. It's great. Uh, I really don't like the episode, but for like specific personal reasons, all the Q stuff's great though. Uh, the actual moral, where like if Picard didn't get stabbed, he would just be like a boring scientist, is the dumbest thing. It's like one it's, of the worst <laughs> morals is, in the Star is, Trek. It is one of the like. It, it is one of the most antithetical to Star Trek things to me because to me Star Trek is about being able to like do good in very menial ways and that don't require like great man type heresy. Heresy is yep. not the right word. Heroism. Her- heroism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, linguistics. Uh, so the idea that oh you just be a boring guy on a boring ship doing boring things you suck is like the, the no! thing. That, the thing that strikes me is this is all like everything in that episode is Q's construction is Picard's like getting heart surgery so 
What actually that means is that's just Q's envisionment of what Picard's life would be like if Picard didn't get stabbed by that Nausicaan. And so, like, I don't, like, yeah, like, Q's like, oh, if Picard wasn't, like, kind of secretly an exciting guy, then he would just be this boring man. And Picard, like, rejects the whole thing for the reasons that he's been in an elaborate, like, torture device by Q. But I don't think that actually speaks to Picard as, like, a person. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't seen it in years, but I remember that moral being a bit, what? It's bad, but it's also a moral entirely devised by Q to, like, get Picard to realize something that Picard didn't need to realize. Oh, sure, so. but I, that, that's also, like, a thing where you're getting the writers out of trouble. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, but in actuality, if Picard had, like, not been stabbed by the Noskin, he probably would have quit Starfleet and become, like, a teacher, right? Yeah, Picard's Picard. Yeah. Let Picard be Picard. <laughs> no, you can't do that. You can't. I'm quitting. I'm quitting this podcast. I'm quitting. I'm starting a podcast about the West Wing tie-in novels. Uh, <laughs> those don't exist. Thank God. Can Jackson, our yes. final question is from Siberian Pine. Do you think the TNG era Federation is actually a nice place to live? Is it a good effort in a difficult galaxy or all a bit of a lie? <sighs> so... <laughs> The th- like both obviously because the Enterprise itself is a fantastic place to live but th- all they do is go to places that are nowhere near as nice as it and fix long-standing problems and DS9 which is a place that is a real place that isn't just a super advanced starship has real problems that they've got to deal with so no like people are still people Sh- shit is still sucks so but like the fe- like the Enterprise is that but even Earth is like Earth's like kind of like mellow and chill and like everyone just kind of does whatever because there's no like economy on Earth. Um, you can just so, open a restaurant because you yeah, want to. <laughs> so people just, just and, and like most people don't even eat there because they replicate their food. Yeah, But if you uh, want to open a restaurant, you can do it. But also if you want to go become like a space miner or a space farmer, a lot of people go to sign up for that for some reason. <laughs> like the Federation is littered with people who decide to take like like lo- like hard labor jobs in space because earth is that boring yeah, yeah i don't <laughs> learning up the amount of characters that have to exist in certain roles in star trek with the actual demographics of a universe built like that is hilarious um but so like what that what that suggests is that if you aren't into just having like the kind of like pampered laid back whatever on earth you have like two main options like there's definitely obviously some more nuance in there there's characters like vash who just get it gets into shit because that's what she does um you can either go into the federation and get cur- killed because everyone gets killed basically like everyone we see in a high position is just the people who didn't die uh because someone dies on star trek every week so there's someone on every federation ship who dies every week so they have an amazing turnover rate or you can become a space miner or a space farmer or a space trader. And those people are probably dying too, because usually they're in distress when the enterprise runs across them. Uh, so it's either live in total luxury or go out in space and die. And people are choosing to go out into space and die because humans are the way humans are. I want to fuck and die in space. (laughs) So what that implies to me, isn't that the Federation is like the most perfect utopia that can be imagined. It's the most perfect utopia that can be imagined by humans 400 years from now. Mm-hmm. Which, or from when the show was created, which I actually feel like it's a pretty good representation of that. Like, we got rid of capitalism, but people are still people, and some people just want to fucking die in space. And that's <laughs> kind of okay. Yeah, we, we will never change that, nor should we. Yeah, and some people go on and become, like, fucking fascists in Starfleet, and that's bad, too. But I would take Star Trek 
at its worst over the world we live in today. So, <laughs> oh, weird, weird choice, hard choice. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you for your questions. Yeah. Uh, those are good questions. I like the spectrum. I like very serious Star Trek questions. I like to answer whether Riker is thirsty. He is not. He is not thirsty. <laughs> uh, that's it. You know where to write into us. We'll be back with a new episode. Jackson, plug you and all of your podcasts. Oh, God. Okay. So I am at Headfuls Off on Twitter. You can find other podcasts. Uh, I do the Amory score where we talk about Coheed and Cambria. It's hilarious and fun. Uh, we are just about to start the next album. You can find that at INeedMayo.com. <laughs> it's a reference. It's hard to explain to people who don't know what the podcast is, I guess, but it, it, it works. Anyway, uh, we also do Abnormal Mapping, me and M, uh, at AbnormalMapping.com or TheBestGame.club. That's about video games. That's about video games. It's a good time. Uh, and uh, I talk about mental health with Destiny on GoofZone at Goof.Zone. Uh, it's good. And uh, you can find me at EM underscore Being. If you want to support this and any of our other shows, you can go to Patreon.com slash AbnormalMapping and support us. Even a dollar helps for Sirius. Uh, if you donate at 5 or 10 you get other things that are good. Um, there's not a lot of crossover with like Patreon stuff in this podcast, but if if you donate at the $10 level, there's... I these the opportunity to be on shows and we would love to have someone on this show if you oh, love star trek that much if someone wants to come in and yell about either a book or a very specific episode or a movie or you know just a star trek thing we'll accommodate you yeah we will accommodate all of the star trek if you want to subject us to abrams verse on this podcast we'll do that i, I mean i want to subject us to abrams verse on this podcast yes if you want to expedite us being subjected to abrams verse <laughs> on this podcast you can make that happen uh, and that's it. So please come back next time for episode six, where we talk about a real book and some real episodes. Those episodes are Balance of Terror and Mirror Mirror from TOS. Uh, you can look it up. You know how. Just search the name and search Memory Alpha, and you'll figure out where to find it. Uh, that's it. We're done. See you out. Jean-Luc, Shorty Specs, Mysteries on the Holodex, Asteroids, Triple Droids, Telepathic Betazoids, Transporter, Deadly Claw, Visitor from L.A. Law, Photons, No Kirk, Captain Has Gone Berserk, Shuttlecraft, Console Troy, Dr. Crushes little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Wyke is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Start the series, it's the next generation on your favorite station. We didn't start the series, but when we are gone, it will still be on. We didn't start the series. The next generation on your favorite station We didn't start the